This podcast is brought to you by the Handshake Agency Network. Hello, once again, welcome to another episode of the Green Room Podcast on the Handshake Media Network. I'm your host, Tiana Speeder. How the hell are you? I hope you're very well. As some of you may or may not know, I am a massive, massive heavy and rock and punk fan. And this week, I actually had the pleasure of talking with Tim McElrath from Rise Against. With 3.5 billion streams, Five golden albums, three platinum albums, to name just a bit of it. We could sit here all day listing their accolades. It's safe to say it has been a hell of a ride for Rise Against. Literally rising up in the late 90s, these guys whipped heads all over with melodic wizardry and some pretty spicy hardcore flavours. But as many of us know, Rise Against are perhaps equally known for being quite candid and their outspoken social commentary and not just politically, they also obviously dabble in the realms of environmental issues, animal rights and various injustices. And for a lot of us, there is something to be said for a band who can straddle commercial success equally alongside provocatively calling out corporations and political big shots. But Rise Against are also a band that still managed to equally balance the light and the shade. And for anyone who has experienced or connected with some of their earlier works, like myself... It's this intensity and this passion for their craft and their fans that save them from entering too much of this preachy territory. And on their impending ninth studio album, Nowhere Generation, literally due out today, it's set to tackle the faux American dream ethos. But also, quite interestingly, it does also provide a bit of a pushback to millennials being used as punchlines, which for myself, it's not a narrative you stumble across every day and just proof that these guys aren't just a one-trick pony living in the 90s or the early 2000s. To lead us behind the scenes of this amazing new album, I am today joined by Tim McElrath, aka frontman and all-round awesome human from Rise Against, joining me live on Zoom from the room where a lot of Nowhere Generation actually came to life and He definitely had a pretty interesting 12 months from adapting the usual Rise Against album writing stuff for the band. He also went back to study during COVID and he literally only saw the bandmates once in person during this album process. So today we're not only chatting about that, we also dive into an incredible fan moment that really cemented for Tim the impact of Rise Against beyond just inciting mosh pits. And we also journey back to where it all began on stage. So I hope you enjoy this one as much as I did. Here's Tim McElrath on The Green Room. All right. Well, hi, Tim, and thank you so much for joining me today on The Green Room podcast. I'm secretly a little bit stoked. I'm not so secretly a huge Rise Against fan, but it's also so exciting to be on the brink of Nowhere Generation, a.k.a. your ninth studio album. So double excitement today. (laughs) Awesome. That's great. Awesome. We're excited to do I can't believe it's been nine records. Yeah. And I guess like it's obviously not new territory for the band whatsoever, but given the insanity that's kind of come through in 2020, how is it feeling in Rise Against World right now? Like, are you able to be enjoying this process compared to previous times? Like, does it feel like it's relief or is it just like, get it out, get it out of our lives, get it into the world? (laughs) What's it feeling? I mean, a little bit of both. I think like when, especially when the pandemic first happened, you know, and we all had to kind of just put everything on hold. 
uh, I realized it was probably a good thing for Rise Against. Like we were probably long overdue for putting everything on hold. <laughs> and so it was mm-hmm. a good like forced way to just kind of like take a minute and breathe. Um, but yeah, then after a while, and especially as it dragged on, these songs, this record that we were sitting on, like we just wanted to share it with the world. It like took everything, it took everything in us to like kind of like hold it back, you know, because it was we weren't sure if it was gonna get the you know the miles that it deserved you know um if we just put it out um in the middle of everything and so it's so it feels so good to finally be releasing these sort of like these secrets that we've been holding on to you know we can talk about it we can share it and just get it out there and 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 move on to the next chapter of rise against yeah well what's kind of awesome about this i guess I read you guys talk back in 2019, I believe you were kind of mentioning that you were going to try to take a more laid back, relaxed approach to how you were writing. And inevitably what would come after that is probably like a forced, not relaxation, but generally everyone had to kind of pump the brakes a little bit and reset a little bit. Did you guys feel like this influenced you positively in this respect, like from how you were planning to write anyway? Like, did you actually enjoy this more relaxed approach to it? despite all the insanity that was going on in 2020? Yeah, I did. I think it's like, um, uh, I'm always trying to find the perfect balance between like not being, not feeling pressured or stressed to create, but I'm all, I'm also aware that I sort of need that looming deadline, you know, at the same time to like create at least a little bit of pressure. And so I'm always trying to balance that. I'm usually, I'm usually screwing it up you know, to me, just not finding the balance one, it's one, it's one or the other, or the, or the pendulum is too far in one way. Um, but I feel like this record was, it was good in that way. Cause we were able to take the time writing A lot of the writing actually took place even before the, the pandemic. And then we were able to take our time recording it. And then that's when the pandemic really set in. So we spent a lot of time just with the little bells and whistles, like, uh, mixing, mastering the artwork, you know, all the concepts behind it, basically the look that you see when you see anything to do with rise against and like, and this era of rise against, I think we were able to really think that stuff through. And that was nice because usually that's a little bit more rushed and things don't always happen the way you want them to happen. And so I I feel good that like, there's a good comprehensive like look and feel to this era of, of rise against. Yeah, absolutely. And on that note, did you guys get to do like any of the finishing touches in person face to face or was everything kind of done remotely by necessity? It was all remote by necessity, because in addition to there being a lockdown, um, only two of us even live in the same part of the country, you know, so we're spread out um, all over the states. And so you know, we weren't getting on planes or doing any of that. So it really like, luckily we were able to do it, um, all remote. The only thing we got together for was, uh, the music video, which I think was like last August. It was sort of a, it was sort of like a, a window of time where I feel like things were starting to come back before and before they didn't come back, you know, at least here, at least here in the States. And so we were able to, in that window of time, we were able to get out to LA, see each other, take a lot of photos, do a video, talk about the record, you know, do all those things. And then, and then shortly after that, that window kind of closed. And so we, I was, we were glad, glad that, you know, we were able to squeeze it into all of that. And then since then, that may have been the last time we've even like seen each other, 
So it's oh. like, yeah, it's been, I see Joe, our bass player, because he lives here in Chicago with me. But yeah, other than that, we haven't really been, uh, um, yeah, even seen each other. Wow. What makes that music video all the more special? It's like a reunion for yeah. the fans and the band. So that's fantastic. But mm. like, who would have known that would have been that short window, but uh, yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah. And with the whole COVID thing too, I believe you've been doing a few other things. Is it correct that you've gone back to school to study? Did you just decide to like level up while everyone else is baking bread and watching Tiger King and doing all that? At home? <laughs> I still watch Tiger King, um, <laughs> hey. but uh, yeah, like uh, I feel like I, I look at life as like input and output, you know, like, especially as a creative person, like my output is the songs uh, the music, you know, playing shows, that kind of thing. But you can't always be doing output. You got to be doing some input at some point. And input can be like, you know, reading a book, seeing a movie, you know, going to a museum, like listening to music, going to a show, whatever it is in your life that your that your input is. And having just finished the record, I was so, I was so exhausted, like just kind of like emotionally exhausted, you know, from all of that. I was, I was sort of done talking. And I wanted to start listening, you know, and that's when I decided I'd always wanted to go back to school to pick up my degree where I left off when the band kidnapped me 20 years ago. <laughs> um, and it turned into a perfect time to do it. You know, everything was kind of online and I just basically just decided to sign up on a whim. I sort of played chicken with the first day of school. I signed up and I was like, you know, I can cancel. I can pull out if I decide not to do this but I'll just sign up now. And that first day came and I was like, all right, I'm jumping in. And next thing you know, I was on like zoom calls with like, you know, other students and, and learning all this stuff. And it, it, it was a, it was a, turned out to be a great thing for me because it really, it kept me so busy that I didn't even realize that anything else was happening. I was so just focused on it and I wanted to do a good job and I wanted to learn all this stuff. And it was the perfect thing for me just to kind of switch to input and just kind of be, learning and, and writing papers and then also getting feedback, you know, from like uh, a professor who doesn't really care who you are, you know, they're just like, you either did a good job or you did a bad job, <laughs> you know? <laughs> totally. It's a, yeah, it's an interesting change of pace. And I guess as well for someone like yourself, it sounds like it was a long time coming. I love yeah. that you were kidnapped, kidnapped by the band, but you managed to escape, get a day release mm -hmm. to go study, <laughs> which is fantastic. <laughs> right. <laughs> Um, and as a band, I mean, it's no secret, you guys continually prove to be amazing advocates for a variety of causes and issues and Nowhere Generation definitely tackles the smoke and mirrors behind the whole American dream ideology. And I guess it's an ideology a, or a concept that has kind of heightened and come to the forefront, especially again in 2020. But was this underlying narrative always kind of something you were gunning for thematically when the album was coming to life? You know, um, I never have a grand plan when I'm like tackling a record. I just start writing it. And then later on, when I take a step back from all the songs, all of like the motifs, you know, I mean, all the things that kind of tie the songs together, they start to pop out. And that's when I realized like, oh, I've, I've been writing about this. I didn't realize I was writing about this, but these themes, this theme keeps popping up in all these songs, kind of tying these songs together. And that's when I realized like Nowhere Generation was like the anchor for all the songs. Um, 
and I felt like it was something that, that wasn't being talked about a lot. And I wanted to like sing about it and talk about it um, was what a lot of young people are going through in a world that has normalized the idea that you can work full time and still be poor, you know, that uh, young people who are running the same race their parents did, but like the finish line just keeps moving on them, you know, and the, and their reactions to it are in a lot of ways being ridiculed, you know, like millennial has become a, a punchline, you know, and I felt like it was kind of like not a fair shake that people were getting and that I wanted to lend a more sympathetic ear to the plight of what a lot of people, a lot of fans in the rise against the community are going through, you know, and that's kind of where nowhere generation came from. And then the more I thought about it and like wrote about it, I realized like, it's not even just younger people. It's like people my age, you know, like people older than me, like anybody who's trying to compete in a world of, you know, ever increasing disparity and concentrated wealth and the rise of the 1%, all these things, like anybody who's doing that, they're, they're feeling that they're feeling that weight and those fears and anxieties of what tomorrow is going to look like. And so I wanted to write a record that touched on that as opposed to writing a record that was like going at a lot of the easy targets of being an American political punk rock band during a Trump administration, <laughs> you know, yeah. like that was, <laughs> there was a lot of low hanging fruit, you know, that we could have mm -hmm. grabbed at um, and a lot of easy, easy songs to write. But like, I felt like there was something happening underneath the surface that was more important than who the president was. It was more important than, you know, um, a lot of these distractions. There was, I wanted to sing about some of the, the roots and why people feel the way they feel. Mm. It's interesting too that you say that because I guess the thing that's really fascinating about Rise Against is not just that you can tackle some of these really hard-hitting issues and write these killer riffs and do all of this. Like there's always this level of, I don't know, underlying optimism or some hope that kind of permeates through it. And I guess like you're touching on these really hectic things and like people are struggling and they feel bad that they're struggling and it's this vicious cycle. But I do love that it's not always doom and gloom with you guys. You always manage to strike this balance between reality, optimism, it's forceful and meaningful. So it's a rare feat for a lot of people. So it's, yeah, I feel like it's a really fitting time for a lot of us to have an album like this in our lives. <laughs> that's, I mean, that's great. You know, you always want to put uh, water where the fire is, you know, and I feel like, you know, there is hope laced into rise against songs because we actually do feel that there is hope you know and so it, it exists and like i want to rise against song to like take you with me to a dark place but i'm not going to abandon you there you know i want you to show i want to want to show you it um but then i want to leave like a trail of breadcrumbs to get out and realize like hey like this is the this is the how dark the world could get if we keep going down this road now let's go back and figure out a way to avoid this. Yeah, which I've got goosebumps a little bit, I'm not going to lie, um, <laughs> not just because it's cold today. Um, I guess slightly on that topic too, I read a story recently that I adored um, that you were standing in a coffee shop behind a man who would go on to become a lawyer inspired by your music and, you know, advocate actively for all this stuff you guys have been singing about I mean it's not just that you guys have that intent like it's being picked up on the other side and like you're shaping 
professions and careers and you know the onflow of that is just phenomenal i adored reading that story yeah it was really it really happened like that too and we were happened to be we were in chicago we were at rehearsals getting ready for a tour which can be a really like tedious process and like trying and stressful and like you're trying to do all these different you're trying to get all these different technical things to work you know what i mean and so when you're in the middle of all of that, you're so far removed from the heart of the band and the heart of the song. And you're more talking about, you know, microphones and guitars and like whatever. And like, it's just like, it, it's tedious, you know? And I remember we took a break and I went to get coffee by myself. Um, and I got in line and I was in line behind this guy and he, there was a, a Rise Against tattoo on the back of his calf. So I could see it, you know, he was wearing shorts. And... um. He turned around, recognized me, we started talking. And that's when he told me, you know, what you just said. And he said that, because when I asked him what he was doing here, he said he wasn't from Chicago and that he came here because he's now a civil rights lawyer and he's fighting um, police brutality in Chicago, which, you know, here in Chicago, it's a, it's a big problem. And I was just like blown away, like immediately, because it was two things happening to me in that moment. Like one this guy was taking me out of like the tediousness of the rehearsals and reminding me there's something so much more important than just like making sure every single instrument is perfect and that the show is, is, is exactly what it should be that there's like, we're trafficking in something way more important, like the heart of the song and trying to get it to reach people. Um, and so that was like a huge thing to kind of like break me out of like that spell of like a stressful uh, rehearsal and then just like the cycle of like the song, you know, the fact that like this thing that we created out of thin air, you know, and just made, found this person doesn't even live in my city. And not only did he choose to do something with his life that was really like progressive and positive, um, but he chose to do it like in the place that I live. Like he was actively making the city I live in a better place, you know? And it just all those things like, you know, it would, they were all kind of hit me as I was kind of walking away. Like, wow, that's, that's really cool. And like, it's sort of like, it sent me back into that rehearsal with like a renewed faith, like, okay, this is important what we're doing here. Mm. And what are the odds like that exact moment that this person wore shorts that day stood in front of you? Like it's right. just, it, it clearly it was meant to happen. Like, yeah, yeah right. mind blowing. <laughs> Oh, mm -hmm. that's incredible. Coming up after the break, it's more Rise Against Goodness with Tim chatting some super early live music memories, some upcoming tour news, plus what keeps driving him to pursue this musical life after all this time. Definitely do not miss it. Steve Bell here. I present the Handshake Agency podcast Rewind. Each series takes you back to a moment of musical heritage as we present oral histories about great albums of our time from the people who made them. If, like me, you have a geek-like curiosity about your favourite artists, track down Rewind with Steve Bell at thepodcast.com.au, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favourite shows. Another amazing thing for you guys too, I mean, now that the album is coming very, very soon and going to erupt into the world, you guys have also been able to announce a headline tour in the US as well, which touring art looks so foreign to me every time I see tour art I'm like oh tour art oh live shows like how does it feel right. to also be perched on this next adventure as we get into the second half of the year man in some ways like 
playing shows feels like it was a lifetime ago, you know? <laughs> and um, we haven't been able to do it in a long time. And so like, it's crazy. It feels great, obviously, to, to like, and we're chomping at the bit to like get back into doing it, you know? And then part of me is like realizing like, oh, wow, like what was it even like doing that? You know, like I have a really bizarre job. I have a really weird occupation. You know, I, I jump around on a stage for 90 minutes, you know, in different cities around the, around the world and play songs that we, that I wrote like in this room, you know? And so it's a really strange thing. And it's, it's even stranger, the further away from it you get, you know, like when you're in the moment, it's almost turns into like very routine. It's like hop on the bus, wake up in the morning, go to catering, do a sound check, do some press, go play a show. You know, it's like, I'll eat, like this, this bizarre thing becomes very normal, you know? And then the further you away from it, you are, the more you think well, it is kind of a crazy thing that we do. Right. <laughs> and so I look forward to getting back into it. Cause I think that's the only thing that's going to make it normal again, is actually just to step foot on that stage, play those shows, you know, connect with those people and just do it, you know, and jump in head first. And we, yeah, we did announce a tour. We'll be playing um, the States, which I think is all we're really allowed to play right now. And as soon as we're allowed to play anywhere else, we will. Um, the States will be almost, or they're all outdoor shows, which makes it easier than doing an indoor show because I don't know what indoor shows are going to look like yet. Um, and then some festivals in the fall. And then, you know, hopefully we get to Australia because I know you guys are partying down there. So <laughs> <laughs> we, we would like to, we would like to get over there. Yeah, well, I think we'd be extremely excited. I think I was looking at all the shows and I'm like, if they're in America and I'm in Australia, if I start swimming now, I might make it there in time for the show and maybe I'll just be able to sneak in and just be like, hey, I'm just wearing my wetsuit. No big deal, it rides against. <laughs> I think it'll work. It's a good plan. Excellent. Thank you for appreciate mm-hmm. the support. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I guess too, like having all of this ahead and looking into live shows, temporarily I would love to jump back in time briefly like I'm not going to imply in or insinuate anything about age here but obviously you've been doing this for a fair while now mm. can you take me back to your first ever Rise Against Live show that you played where was it how was it mm. and was there a particularly memorable moment or if you blocked it out of your memory <laughs> <laughs> oh it's so blur it's so blurry back then it's funny because I, I just found like these old notebooks and some of them are like old journals and they're really just kind of like almost diary style, just like talking about being on the road. And I, and it's so funny cause I don't, I'm reading them as like a different person. I don't even remember some of the stuff, you know, I do remember the very first show we played. It was, it was pretty uneventful. Um, but it was in a basement of a house somewhere in the Northern suburbs of Chicago. And the Northern suburbs of Chicago is like where they film Home Alone, Uncle Buck, you know, Ferris Bueller, like Breakfast Club, all those, all those John Hughes movies. So like you can picture the neighborhood, right? And um, it was in the basement and there was some expectation behind us because our bass player, Joe, had played in a band called 88 Fingers Louie and they were um, a popular punk band in Chicago and they'd broken up. So there was a little bit of expectation that we would be good because people like 88, you know? And so I think we were maybe even headlining the show possibly. And then we played, you know, for like maybe like 30, 40 people. And it was pretty uneventful though. I figured out later, 
I didn't know it at the time that um, I was talking to uh, Patrick from Fallout Boy, and he had a band called Patterson before Fallout Boy, and they played that show also. Oh my gosh! Yeah, and I know Patrick now, but I didn't know him then, you know. And so it's really funny that like he was there in that basement, we were there in that basement. That was our first show, and like that was his band before uh, Fallout Boy. So kind of a weird small world. I feel like you seem to have a knack for being in the right place at the right time. This seems to be an establishing theme that I'm feeling throughout this. <laughs> <laughs> Whether you know it at the time or not, but right. that's amazing. Yeah, it's crazy. You're not too shabby for a first memory. <laughs> right. Um, and I guess hopefully there'll be a lot more stories to come with the next upcoming tours. But to close us out today, one thing I would love to ask you as well, as someone who, as I mentioned, has been kicking around doing this, like sharing your amazing gifts and love of music with all of us, what is it that you love the most about what you do that keeps driving you and keeps you coming back for more? Hmm. I guess, I mean, it's really the audience. It's like the people listen to us. It's, it's amazing to have this thing that we created a long time ago, have it still connect with people. And so you have your fans that have been around, you know, since day one that the band uh, holds a special place in their heart and their life, um, which is really cool. And I have those bands too. And then you have like this year, we're going to bring brand new fans into the family. You know, we're going to bring a, a 16 year old kid who's been listening to pop music their whole life, you know, and they're going to join the rise against family. Like that's going to happen, you know, and that's been happening for 20 years. And it's so cool to like watch this thing kind of snowball. And then it's crazy to create songs that connect with people that weren't even born when this band started, you know, like it's, I don't know. It's kind of, it's kind of amazing. It's like our, I think it's like our link to like the world too, you know, just to kind of be able to connect with people and find that some of these themes that we talk about are a little timeless, you know, like people, people encounter them. Um, there's somebody encountering them every year. You know, and so mm -hmm. in that way, I think of Rise Against like, a, like we're like the professor at a university, you know, and so we're there all the time. But that freshman incoming class is constantly changing, you know, and when they come in, you know, you got to teach them the same thing sometimes. You know what I mean? So it's like sometimes you don't need to be teaching a brand new thing. Sometimes it's like this, this person right now needs to hear this. And maybe you've already heard it, but this front row has not heard it. So we're going to say it again. Mm, it's incredible and it's like what you were saying I mean with this person you know you're inspiring people all over you're inspiring people to choose careers like you never know these ongoing repercussions so it's amazing that the love you feel for your fans is given back you know equally and it's an incredible thing to know how this is going to continue to evolve and continue to inspire and hopefully change the world for the better a bit more mm -hmm. so Absolutely. it's incredible yeah. but for now I think it's just so exciting that we are being gifted this incredible album, Nowhere Generation is another absolute killer Rise Against album. There was no doubt it would be, you know, anything but. But I'm so excited to know that you guys will hopefully come to Australia as well. 
I may see you mm-hmm. at a gig in my wetsuit in America. Otherwise, <laughs> be incredible to have you here when we can can have you here. And thank you so much for having a chat with me today. It's been an absolute treat. Yeah, it was my pleasure. And thank you to all of our Australian fans. Like you guys are the best and, and we miss you. And we can't wait to get back as soon as possible. Yay. Thank you so much, Tim. Yeah, my pleasure. Well, there you have it. A huge thanks to Tim for joining me from the other side of the globe and share some pretty epic tales for Nowhere Generation, which literally is releasing into the world today. For anyone who may want to join me and start swimming for America so we can catch Rise Against and the American Summer Festival, I'd just ask you to bring a spare wetsuit as I've packed all of mine while I'm moving house and maybe we might need some bail money in case we get stuck on the other side. But I digress. Make sure you check out Nowhere Generation. It is out in the world right now. And also be sure to visit thepodcast.com.au. Head to the Green Room tab and there you can check out previous episodes of this podcast, including my fun chat with What's So Not last week, as well as a heap more with Neil Griffiths chatting with Luke Steele, The Offspring, Amy Shark and many, many others. podcast from the Handshake Agency Network, produced by Tiana Speter and Andrew Mast, with Pharrell D'Souza and Henry Gibson providing research, recorded and engineered by Zig Parker, executive producer Craig Trewick.